You sisters know that my skin has been glowing lately. And I'm here to tell you my secret. Oak Essentials. You've heard us talk about their line of luxurious products before, and we're so excited to have them as a sponsor of OK Sister Podcast because now you can join in on the glowy goodness. You know Oak Essentials is legit because it was created by none other than our favorite brand ever, Jenny Kane. Oak Essentials is known for its simple approach to self-care with a lineup of foundational skincare staples made with high-quality ingredients that drive results. It aims to unlock healthy, glowing skin with decadent and hydrating ingredients that give you a luxe, dewy glow. I won't shut up about the Moisture Rich Balm. It's a nutrient-rich balm that supports collagen production and delivers serious hydration for a luminous glow. And a luminous glow indeed. The way my skin feels like butter after applying this balm. This balm will make you never want to wear makeup again. And you can apply generously during your night routine to lock in moisture as you dream. It's the definition of beauty sleep. Treat yourself or someone else this season. You sisters will get 15% off and a free organic honey-based restorative mask with their first order. Oh my God, what a deal. When you use code OKSIS15 at checkout. That's right. 15% off plus a gift with your first order at O-A-K-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S.com. Promo code OKSIS15, OKAYSIS15. Go ahead and treat yourself. From luxurious skincare to meaningful self care, you deserve it. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to OK Sis Podcast. Hi, sisters. I'm Maddie. And I'm Scout. And we are sisters IRL. I'm the older one. Yes, Scout. We know. Here at OK Sis, we believe women are multifaceted. Which is why you can expect sisterly banter on a wide range of topics such as pop culture, our entrepreneurial journeys, and mental health routines. We promise it'll be informative. And silly! As long as you don't get too loud, Mads. Welcome to the sisterhood! Hello, welcome back to OK Sis Podcast. My name is Mads. My name is Scoutala, and I just want to um, set the tone real quick, Mads, or let you know something. Is that... Yeah, where, where are you? Um, oh, so, you know, big news. I decided to go remote in my business, and so I did not renew my office lease. Oh, right. And so right, right. I obviously can't work in my house because baby Lily is running around, and when she sees me, she wants me to hold her, and blah, blah, blah. I have podcasts. She can't run. She can't run. Whatever. She can't run. Whatever. She's crawling. She can't walk. I mean, she can walk. She's just not, like, off to the races yet. Um, so <laughs> I... And I put my office in my friend's art studio in a corner. And so this is where I work out of now. And it's so inspiring and beautiful. It's also fucking freezing in here because the whole thing is concrete. So noted, noted on the temperature for next time I get in Yeah, here. you got a great Zoom background now. I'm kind of struggling with my Zoom background. Um yeah, I don't know where to. I I need to I need to test out a couple angles in the new apartment because the Zoom background is not is not sufficing 
yeah for me right now I don't know if that's the right word but I'm literally we'll, we'll get there I'm in an artist studio so my backdrop is her art which is amazing. art yeah that's yeah okay don't don't brag too much but mm. thank you um uh, I would what's up I would just <laughs> like to point out that before we started recording this episode we just got off an amazing interview with Julian Frazier. She's the founder of Dialogue mm-hmm. Agency. And this whole episode is jam-packed about influencer marketing. And it's going to really expand your mind as to what influencer marketing is. If you want to start a brand, if you're a content creator and you want to work with brands, or if you just are in the marketing, you know, digital space and are interested in fine-tuning your knowledge, this is a thousand percent such an informative and value-packed episode. Um, but I just want to point out because I think you need it, Mads, is that we started this episode before Julianne hopped on and you were telling me that you were feeling a little bummed about some of the things that happened with your goals this year and how you did some of them didn't come true or whatever. And then we get on the podcast, sisters, and you are spewing the most insane success stats I've ever seen. You have finally reached a year in Canberra where you are so fucking successful and you're sitting here bummed that a couple things didn't happen on your manifestation list. And so I, I, sisters, I am, I will hold space. I will listen. Your feelings are valid, blah, 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 blah. But I'm going to stick some tough love at you. And you need to stop it. You need to stop it right now. No more. We're done. This is enough. We're done. You are so fucking successful. And like, I was so proud listening to you talk during this episode. Like, so, so, so proud. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's weird. I so I started the to be magnetic challenge, and you guys know that um, I love I love to be magnetic, and I, I'm a little late on the challenge this year, but I remember doing it last year, and it was so beautiful because it set me up for success starting January first. Like I felt so ready to, to take on the year, and I felt so good. So I was like, oh, I need to challenge myself to do it. And I, as you guys know, I've had a lot of like self help fatigue lately, so it was kind of hard to for me to get over that hurdle, but the first day in the challenge is to look back on your 2023 goals of like in the, in the morning and or in the morning, in the beginning of the year. And a lot of, you know, a lot of like the mindset stuff did come true, which I was really proud of. Like leaning more into being a, like what a successful entrepreneur to me looks like and not falling into the hustly, type of entrepreneur or has to work like 12 hour days entrepreneur, but rather someone that approaches things with calm and restfulness and ease. Um, and I think I really did embody that. So there were, there were moments like that. And I think my confidence went up. I think my money mindset improved, like all these things, but, um, yeah, like just, and again, a lot of these goals shifted. Like I, I had written that I wanted to be, I wanted to grow my personal Instagram and personal brand and TikTok and be a thought leader, thought leader and, you know, spew wisdom and read a business book every month and all these things. And it's funny going back to like looking back at that because, and I think it's fine because I think so much of that has shifted. Like that's no longer feels right to me so instead of me being like oh I didn't achieve that I think I more so have to be like oh no that doesn't even matter anymore because that's not what I want anymore and you know then the uh, there was a prompt that said like what was unexpected that came through and most of the things of course like I couldn't predict anything that happened with camber honestly in the beginning of the year I didn't even know if I could work on camber <laughs> in the rest of the year because the runway was dwindling so 
it was so fascinating because a lot of the quote unquote manifestations or pivotal moments of this year were unforeseen. And so I think I just have to get into the headspace of, of like, oh, no, I didn't do anything that I had quote unquote listed. I did more and other things. So I think that's where I'm just like my brain is kind of being like, oh, shit, what? I, you know, I don't well, know. you legitimately when people manifest, they say this or something better. You got the something better. So in my opinion, there's nothing but celebrations around here at Camber HQ. Um, oh. And in the words of the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want. But if you try, sometimes you'll find you get what you need. OK. OK. <laughs> Did that not land? I don't like that quote because I want to get what I want. (laughs) Yeah, but what you need is better. Um, Okay. okay. Well, not the quote. I will find a Taylor Swift quote that uh, matches this more and I will text it to you later. Um, Without further ado, sisters, please welcome Jillian Frazier to the podcast. We hope you enjoy. This is a value. This is like I'm like I'm on a brainstorm and get creative now after this episode. So if you think influencer marketing, not creative, you are incorrect. And by the end of this episode, you are going to have like a million ideas running through your brain. So enjoy, sisters. Zoom and audio and video remote recording still fucks us every time. But welcome to the podcast, Julia. We are so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) We were just saying that um, you have a very chic, slicked back bun happening. Scout is also rocking the slicked back bun. Can can you tell us your your routine, your slick back bun routine, because we've been trying. So we're just to give you some context, Julianne, we are both curly haired girlies and a slick back bun like does not bode well for the curly haired girlies because then it looks like that meat. It looks like that meme of Justin Timberlake with the um, noodles kind of thing. And it's just like this wavy, weird thing. Um, Anyways, but tell us your routine. How do you get it looking like that? I mean, maybe Scout, you can relate. This is like a new, I have a daughter a year and a half. So this is like a three minute routine. It's like a shower, comb, like, you know, throw some oil in it and call it a day <laughs> versus the whole shebang of blow drying. Yeah. I have a, a little bit of, yeah. It's like wet when I, I think that makes a difference. If you try and do a slick bun, but while you have dry hair, it's just like flyaways, messy crap. But if you get out of the shower, slick back bun, and then put some oil in, it usually stays in place. So there you go. That's my, <laughs> but it's really just out of convenience. It takes like one minute. I will be trying that next. I'm like on day five. I got my hair blown out last week and I'm on like day five. So I did a slick back up here with the leave-in gel from Crown Affair and I'm a little offended that Maddie didn't necessarily compliment me today, but she complimented you. So I don't know if she likes my slick back situation, but I'm going to try it your way look, next time. I'm going to do look, it with the wet look, hair. Look, but it's pixely. I can't really see you, Scow. And, you know, Julianne, it's just like, a, sure. it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot more dramatic on Julianne's side. Yeah. So that's, that's. I got natural yeah. lighting in here. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I was going to say that Julianne is living a potential life that I could have lived out in this lifetime. You could still do it. You are living, you know, like, no, but like, you know how you say there's, if you think about like multiple realities or whatever, um, your storyline is a potential storyline when I was born. It was a potential storyline for me. 
you live in New York and Paris, correct? Yeah. I mean, in a traditional sense, for the last three years, I did New York, Paris, went back and forth between both cities every six weeks. Then when I had my daughter a year and a half ago, that slowed down a little bit. So I would say home base is Brooklyn, but we still go back to to France like three, four times a year. So it's become like a hodgepodge, but it was much more like official and organized, I'd say, previous to this, like three years ago. But Okay, so we're going to get into the baby thing since I have a 13-month at, ho- at home, but I want to know what that was like living in two not just two different states or being bi-coastal, but two different countries and picking the two most amazing cities, in my opinion, in the entire world. What was that like? And why did you do it? I mean, so I I moved, so I'm originally from Western Canada. I moved to New York 11 years ago, 12 years ago now. Um, so New York made me, this is like my home. This is the city that, you know, I grew up in, so to speak. I, my whole career has been here. Um, and it's where I met my husband um, way back when on Tinder, like 10 years ago. We were like early adopters when it officially launched. Um, and so he's from from France. And so we were living in, in New York together. Long story short, Visa Woes had him go back to France. And we were doing back, we were doing long distance between, you know, New York and Paris. And at one crazy moment, we're like, why don't we make this an official thing? Like, rather than it be this long distance, why don't we have a home base, you know, in Paris and and scale down and have like a small little studio here in Brooklyn and travel back and forth? This was pre-COVID. So it was kind of like before the, the whole world shifted to remote work. And so there were definitely hurdles to that in like setting expectations for our clients. But it, you know, was much smoother than it sounds. It was a lot of fun. And I will say that like, I loved it so much and I still do love having sort of my foot on both sides of, of the world because less so from a city perspective, there's a lot of differences between New York and Paris, but from a cultural perspective, like the way New Yorkers and, and the American lifestyle of like hustle and grind work and like boundless opportunity, anything's possible here still to this day. Like Every time I come back to New York, the momentum is just so incredible. Um, and your network of people just want to help and support you in anything you want to pursue. On the French side of things in, in Paris, there's so much more of an emphasis on like life and, and work-life balance and enjoying your summers and pursuing your creative endeavors and hosting and cooking and all the things that really like, you know, make my soul sing. So I really love that balance of like, pursuing my dream and my, my building my company in New York, and then really just exploring all of my passions outside of that in France, if that kind of makes sense. I love that's, I was just revisiting, I was telling Scott, I was revisiting my 2023, you know, goals and manifestations and everything. And then reflecting on what I wanted to step more into in 2024. And the number one thing that's like comes up for me is creativity and tapping into that what does that even mean what does that look like is it you know free drawing uh every morning it doesn't mean knitting does it mean playing board games does it mean it's like what does that mean for each individual person and creativity is so as you said personal it's so uh you know warming and it's just I feel like we don't prioritize that especially in the states and so adopting that um that 
philosophy, that lifestyle is is so important to kind of sprinkle into our lives. What are some ways that you've taken like from that Parisian creativity lifestyle and brought it into your daily life? Yeah, I, honestly, I it's interesting. I actually wove it into my business as well. And it and it's something that is so it feels counterintuitive to like a New York structured consultancy. Um, but at its core, we're a digital, so dialogue, you know, we, we develop social media strategies and so much of it is the strategic work and the execution, but so much of it is us coming up with really creative campaign ideas and concepts that will break through social media. Cause there's so much noise, so much repetition, hashtag ads. It's like really, really tiring. There's so much fatigue. And so I actually got inspired from this like duality of living between New York and Paris and started to introduce concrete ways my team can carve out times to be creative. So once a month, I have these creative mornings where my team can do whatever they want to do. They can like go to a morning matinee movie. They can like go to an art gallery. They can cook a new recipe, whatever fuels their passions. The only stipulation is that they just have to get offline, turn off their phones and just be like immersed in whatever it is that inspires them. And people would look and say, oh, how cute. Like, you know, like you offer that to your team, but it is so strategic because coming back to our team brainstorms, when someone's been to new like film exhibit and another one is, you know, gone for a walk in nature, they come back and the ideas of what we present to our clients are so much more creative. We're pulling inspiration from like magazines or books or uh, whatever it might be. And so the quality of our work in our output is absolutely incredibly stronger with those small elements. So we have the monthly morning creative mornings. We have a book club where we're reading physical concrete books and chatting through different topics. We have a podcast club. Um, and, and also I think I just like lead by example where I pursue so many passions and creative endeavors outside of my work. And I think it, it allows my team to see that they can do the same. Um, but exactly to your point, anyone in a creative space, like, how are you supposed to come up with anything unique and innovative? If you're just rinse and repeat and copying everything that's been done on social media. So Sisters, my goal these days is to always look put together when I leave the house. Nothing over the top or super dressed up or anything like that. I just want to look put together and feel good about what I'm wearing in an effortless yet refined way. When I look at my closet every single morning and think about what I can wear that is chic and intentional, I usually end up grabbing one of my Jenny Kane sweaters and I always end up loving the way I look and the way I feel in them. You all know, sisters, that when I envision my highest self, I am wearing Jenny Kane. Their sweaters are the quintessential must-have item. I cannot stop wearing my Marina set. I throw it on and immediately feel like I'm in a Nancy Myers movie, like I could just walk on the beach in Santa Barbara. It is the coastal grandma aesthetic. My favorite Jenny Kane sweater right now is their everyday sweater in taupe. This is the definition of a staple that every woman must have in their wardrobe. Sisters, trust me on this one. I wear it with leggings, oversized jeans, and a little kitten heel or a silk maxi skirt. Legit, Mads and I are so obsessed with wearing our Johnny Kane sweaters that we've literally shown up both wearing the same sweater once, the white alpaca cocoon crew neck, which is this deliciously oversized sweater. Yeah, that moment takes the cake. Both of us walking in with our matching Jenny Kane sweaters. We're obsessed. Can't take them off. Wearing them every day. The type of staples that save your outfit. 
That is what I love about their entire collection. It is truly the art of simplicity. They focus on comfort, quality, and timeless designs. You can curate a wardrobe that never goes out of style. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code OKSIS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code OKSIS. O-K-A-Y-S-I-S. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Ever since having a baby, I've been extremely conscious about what I spend my money on and which products I use. And clothing is no different. I want my wardrobe to be sustainable, good quality, and timeless. You have to be talking about Whimsy and Roe, right? Whimsy and Roe is an LA-grown, eco-conscious brand born out of the love for cute, comfy, and classic styles. Every piece is made by women for women. Quality goods, local production, natural and organic fabrics. Yes, please give me all the linens. Just like OK Sister, Whimsy and Row is based on the idea that women are multidimensional. There's a balance of flirty feminine and minimal masculine in all of our wardrobes, and Whimsy and Row means exactly that. From special occasions to everyday effortless styles, their clothing is meant to mix and match and wear on repeat. I have been wearing their Kira pant in black linen probably three times a week. Sisters, if you've been listening to this podcast or following me on Instagram, you know that Whimsy and Rose Kira Pant in Black Linen is a sisterhood staple at this point. Founder Rachel Temko created the brand back in 2014 because she wanted to create an approachable and inclusive brand that cared for the people and the planet first. Get the full Whimsy experience IRL at their Venice location or shop online at whimsyandrow.com. Their store in Venice is so cute. I can attest. And if you're in LA, I highly recommend stopping by. They are always putting on these amazing community events. They just launched their spring summer collection and we will be living in it all summer long. Visit their website, whimsyandrow.com. That's W-H-I-M-S-Y-A-N-D-R-O-W.com and use code OKSISTER for 15% off. Oh, I love that so much. Okay, that is something, that's something I think, and I need to, I need to figure out what my phrasing is for this, but like 2024, my goal is to redefine redefine like what productivity means like make making those moments that you don't think are productive but just like turning it on its head and being like no no no, this is and fully leaning into that because I sometimes I know it is quote-unquote productive down the line and I've seen that in my business when I do take a step back or when I go somewhere and I give space then I come back with so many ideas um but it's still this like little resistance I want to fully let that go next year of really leaning in and being like, oh, no, 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 this is productive. I don't give a shit what anyone else says or thinks, but I see the direct value um, that comes in down the line. I think there's two ways to think about it too, because if you think of doing creative endeavors in order to, to be productive for your outcome, that's one way, but also doing something not because it's going to like improve your business or your service, but because it's going to fuel you or your team members I find that my team comes to the drawing board, starts the day, is part of our team so much more like satisfied and happy and balanced and they produce better work as a result. So it doesn't, the creative endeavor that we do outside of work doesn't necessarily have to directly, you know, impact the work. But I think that it's, it just brings like more fulfilled, more passionate, more excited people to the table to do better work. That, if that makes sense too. 
And I think it's also about, and I think maybe Mads, this could be helpful, is identifying as just a creative person in general. I think that's been hard. I think we, on a past couple episodes, we realized that we are both creative people. And instead of being in the business, seeing ourselves as holistic, creative people and that being a big part of our work and our personal life. And so how do you really, really nourish that aspect of yourself? I think like maybe, and I'm starting to do that too because I've been in a very business like mindset for a while that I realized that, oh, I forgot that I was a creative and I'm trying to tap back into this. And when you do, you get ex- excited, you get inspired, you romanticize, you look at things that fuel your soul and that leads to better work. It leads to better relationships. It leads to better days. It leads to like the whole thing. So I think I'm also going to add creativity as like my word for 2024. Um Speaking of creativity in business, you have ran some of, you know, the most amazing influencer marketing campaigns for some of the biggest brands, you know, Seed, Gia, list a couple of them off real quick. Brooklinen, Harry's, Sakara Life, Seed Probiotics, um, Cali Rosa Tequila, um, Lask from Baboon to the Moon. So really wide mix of like beauty, uh, fashion, health, wellness, lifestyle, whatnot. So first of all, incredible, like that roster is like enough to solidify you, I feel like, and your expertise. But when it comes like influencer marketing, in my opinion, is such a misunderstood strategy and such a misunderstood concept. Whether there are people listening right now to this podcast who are influencers or they're about to start a brand and they're considering where influencer marketing goes in, I feel like there's so many misconceptions. Like if you put your product and you gift your product to 10 influencers, it's going to result in sales, right? Like that doesn't exactly work that way. So can you give an overarching definition of what influencer marketing is and how it works from a longevity standpoint to like a full scope standpoint? Yeah, definitely. So I think when I started, I've kind of fell into the world of social media 10 years ago when I first started my career. Um, and, and I've seen the industry evolve massively, but it's still very much what I define as like the wild, wild west, because there's so many players, so many approaches, so many, you know, aspects to it. So when I started dialogue six years ago, I saw that there were a lot of PR firms that understood the creativity behind influencer partnerships and the relationship component between a brand and an influencer. On the farther end of the spectrum, there were a lot of performance marketing agencies involved, traditional advertising agencies that understood the importance of trackability, measuring ROI, and really like creating a foundation to track performance from uh, influencer partnerships. And then in the center, tons of platforms that have evolved from like Creator IQ and Tribe Dynamics and Forecard. All of these platforms have evolved over the years to try and automate and scale influencer marketing. So with a click, you can email thousands of influencers and activate um, at a high volume. And so there's pros and cons to all three sides, but I felt like there was a really unique opportunity to develop a hybrid approach because I think if you only see influence marketing as like a brand building, brand awareness play, or if you only see it as a performance marketing tactic that drives, you know, acquisition and revenue, or if you see it as a software that, you know, you click a button and you can automate it, you're not building these like multi-layered programs that we build for all of our clients that 
ultimately creates a halo effect. So music to my ears is when people say, oh my God, I see Sakaar life everywhere. I see seed everywhere. I see Brooklyn and everywhere. And it's because we're, we're not creating sort of these siloed programs. It's a really intricate, multi-layered approach where we're activating a high volume of seeding and gifting to get that like buzz and brand awareness and and um, UGC coming through the door. We're activating tastemaker events and experiences and hosting intimate, you know, in-person activations. We're doing content collaborations where we're working with creators to produce databases of assets. We're doing paid campaigns. And so all these multi-layers is what drives that like kind of swell and, and halo effects. So I think that's just something really to consider where so many brands, agencies out there, consultants that are doing it, they might just be focusing singularly on one element and they're missing the opportunity for influencers to really touch and impact the whole marketing mix, every aspect of it. Beautiful answer. With that, what mindset should a brand have going into influencer marketing should they engage you or another agency? Like, What's the mindset that's going to bring them success? Because I can imagine the, hey, we didn't see anything for the first 30 days comes up as like everyone does within every fucking industry when they hire somebody. So what's the winning mindset that a brand could have when they engage with an agency like yours or when they engage at influencer marketing in general? Yeah. So I, I recently um, kind of workshop this analogy with my business coach. So it's a fresh one. I'm going to test it out on you guys, but I thought it was so profound. I was like, that's such an interesting way to think about it. So in, in our chats with him, I was saying that right now, you know, brands will come to us and a lot of brands are looking for the Apple in 30 days, to your point, the, the product, the results quick and fast. And you can go to a grocery store and you can buy an Apple and you can have the result. That's performance marketing. You can, you can engage in meta ads performative marketing, and you can get the Apple within 30 days. So that's a grocery store. What we do, we're experts, we're experts at developing gardens. And so we know the best soil to use, the best sunlight, you know, direction of the different plants, the, we form these beautiful um, gardens that take time, that take testing and trying, that take nurturing, that, you know, after maybe three months, you'll see a bud after six months, you'll see, you'll, you know, it's grows over time, but the benefit in investing in our work is that once we've established this and say nine months, six to nine months, where we start to get that momentum, our clients that we've worked with for five years are reaping the rewards of a fruitful garden and incredible ROI. Like we're talking millions of dollars from returns from their influencer programs, but that's because they've laid the foundations. They've been thoughtful, testing and trying and building and nurturing this garden. If you want to go to the grocery store and have your returns, there's agencies out there that can do that. And, and that's a very strategic approach for certain brands. But I think it's so important when someone comes to us and say, says, we want to work with you and we want the Apple in 30 days. I've gotten to a point in six years where now I can say, sorry, that's not us. Mm -hmm. And you're setting up, like we'd be setting ourselves up for failure. And if that's what your expectations are, I also don't want to let you down. So like go find another agency to support that. Also, I would say it's not just you. It's, it's, it's not the strategy for them. Right. Yeah. It's just not... They don't, it's not, and that's totally fine. That's not necessarily they're a closed-minded client. They might not have the time or the, you know, the leeway to be able to kind of build and grow this over time, but it's long-term play. It's a relationship play. It doesn't happen overnight. And for us to really do our job well, 
well. We can't be like rushed with these kind of, you know, targets within 30 days of kickoff, so to speak. I want to talk about influencers specifically. Um, we we have an audience that, you know, several several of our audience members want to become influencers or they're aspiring to be or they're aspiring to work with dream brands. How do you identify a really powerful influencer? And aside from, you know, engagement metrics and things of that nature, like what do you seek out from these individuals other than, I mean, like authenticity and, blah, 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 you know, all the buzzwords like, yeah, what is what is something that they should be striving for in their content that that is, uh, you know, that makes brands like seek them out? I feel like this industry is just absolutely scaled to an incredible degree of the amount of money and, and even like planning for 2024. Our clients are pouring budgets into paid influencers campaigns. So the opportunities are there. The it's really, really, really growing in importance. Um, but that said, I think sometimes people are trying because of that, they're trying to make it this like automatic systematized thing. This is a relationship industry and on all sides of things from brands, you know, clicking a button on a software and, and engaging thousands of influencers, you're missing the richness of getting to know a creator catering a campaign to their like approach. Um, and so we've actually, I'm really excited that we're, we're launching um, this month, a new system in a way for us to scale up and be able to do what we do at scale in terms of negotiation and contracts and invoices and the, and the volume of work for each campaign. We've found ways to automate everything that can be automated, but we've maintained the like thoughtfulness of our curation of who are the right partners for a campaign. And what is going to be an authentic, you know, partnership that they can share? It's not just them reading off a script in a creative brief, which so many brands do. They just say like, read this and post this. We do this two-way thing of, hey, have you tried seed probiotics? No. How about we gift you the product first? Try it. Do you like it? Come back to us. If you don't, you shouldn't be a partner. Like we shouldn't, we shouldn't be forcing this kind of narrative. And then if you do like it, how is it integrated into your lifestyle? Like what, what have you found, you know, is it part of your morning skincare regime? And, and do you want to speak to the skincare benefits of a probiotic? Or do you want to talk about how it's improved your gut health, whatever it might be. So all that to say that both from the brand and creator's standpoint, relationships, like a creator being open to gifting, to gifting, receiving a product, trying it, sharing what they love about it, following back up with that brand and saying, Hey, you know, like, I really love this. This is the type of feedback I received from my community. When I posted, I'd like to propose this type of three month campaign and this making it really, I think so many people go into it being like, know your worth. Don't ever post a single thing without payment. And it, it just is short-sighted because I think that like from a brand's perspective, if you've never tried the product and to pay outright, that's not a smart move on their point. But on the flip side, the ability for a creator to build a really fruitful long-term partnership starts with like the authenticity of just, you know, nurturing that relationship. And actually, this is something that I've spoken to Mariana Hewitt about. She was um, a speaker at one of our events where she too, still to this day, take receives gifting posts what she authentically likes and then reaches out to that brand for a paid opportunity so i think hearing that from her point of view too just how important it is to like nurture a relationship and and not like 
force it, I think is just critical. Uh, the most amazing tip that Mariana gave, I was listening to you on her podcast that you were on, is that Mariana will go and look at her fellow influencer peers in the space that she loves, see what brand deals they're doing. And if it's authentic, she'll then, you know, she'll be influenced by her fellow influencers, buy it, comment it, and the brand will see like, oh, Mariana Hewitt commented on this. You know, she, you know, she'll say, oh my God, I just bought this. This looks amazing. And then the brand will get in contact with her. And so I think that is like, that was one of the best influencer tips I've ever heard for new influencers because they're finding which brands have budgets and they are also engaging in, but you have to, of course, engage in the product that you like, right? You can't just like engage in all of them. But I thought that was such, such a good tip when it comes to that side of the coin. And again, back to the motif of like playing the long game, right? You know, like taking the time, building the relationships. I take seed every single morning and it's the best thing in the world. Just FYI. Uh, we had our cats on the podcast and that's how we got introduced to that brand. Um, I have a very specific influencer marketing question. How does one engage in influencer marketing if one's business is not a digit is not a physical product? Is influencer marketing more appropriate for physical product businesses, or is there a place to do apps? Uh, memberships, editorial sites, etc. And what does that look like? Because I remember, I'm not going to name the brand, a brand that was a digital app did a massive influencer marketing campaign. We all got the same sweaters and they made like a cute little like merch and all of us posted because the merch was cute, but I don't know one downloaded the app, unfortunately. And so that was like a big aha moment of like, oh, how does influencer marketing actually work? if the product isn't a physical product? Great question. So yes, certainly it can. So that's actually like question number one, right? Like every brand is like, we must do influence marketing. This is like the, the golden ticket. And actually like, no, sometimes there could be a certain product or category where like word of mouth, like, you know, community marketing might be far more advantageous to like engage mom groups or fitness classes on a local level. That might be a way better spend of your money. So it really depends. Like, I think the first question is like, slow down and ask yourself, is this worthwhile? I think definitely it's not only for, you know, particular products. It's not even just for products that are D to C. I think so over the years we've worked with, um, software, for example, um, a client of ours elsewhere, it is a, um, a luxury, uh, travel planning service. So you, you download or, or fill out a survey and they help you, they present you with an itinerary and a fully planned, um, trip. And so we're not offering every influencer a 10, $15,000 trip internationally. And we had to get creative of like, what is it that we can offer to the influencer to get them excited? So is it customized itineraries for their next, let's say someone was going to Copenhagen and we could offer them a consultation with um, the advisor could present a whole, you know, really creative itinerary for Copenhagen, which then the, the creator can, can, you know, integrate and execute on their own, but finding, you know, ways that you can kind of like packaged the service up in order to to engage an influencer that might be like the lowest tier we went up to the point where we were sending you know influencers um like Elaine Welteroth on these extravagant trips so that it had a scalability to our program um but I think 
or, you know, part, brand partnerships are a great way to, you mentioned that you received um, merch. There's a way that like, we just brought on a new client, Obey Fitness, and um, certainly we can offer, Obey's awesome. And we can offer, love uh, we're in the midst of just crafting their strategy actually right now. But so one of the things that we're thinking through is like, we can offer, you know, their, their services as part of our uh, pitch to influencers, but we could also partner with their amazing, you know, network of apparel, fitness, um, brands or wearable devices and offer influencers, you know, maybe it's like a wearable device plus, um, usage of the Obey app and create this like experiential offering for them. So I think it's just about getting creative of like, what is going to be of value to an influencer? Um, and then one of the biggest things that we do in our strategy is it's not this like one size fits all for every single influencer. We define and curate someone who might be a traditional digital influencer whose full-time job is focused on managing their social channels, YouTube channels, producing content. A second might be a tastemaker who's amassed a social media following as a result of being an entrepreneur, an activist, an athlete, whatever it might be. And the third being an expert. So they might be like a doctor or a nutritionist and have a full career, but have, again, have amassed a social following because of their expertise. And so being thoughtful in like, what are the packages and offerings we can make for each type of influencer um, and being really like specific with it um, rather than just, this is our offering and we're going to go far and wide to every possible influencer. So there's a little bit of like thought process behind it, but to answer your question, certainly you can get creative if you're more of a service-based business. So you just have to think of like, what would be valuable to the influencer to get them excited. Do you ever, um, allow the influencer to give their creative input? So, um, a little kind of backstory on me, it's kind of, it's, I, so I I created a platform for things to do, places to be in Los Angeles, and we've become quite successful over TikTok, Instagram, and uh, our newsletter. And it's funny because we're a company and a brand. We started off creating an app, and then now it's kind of pivoted into a whole media company. But you know, we're a we're a company, we're a brand, but we also kind of operate as an influencer or content creator because I'm the face and and creating all of this content. Um, and so most of the times when I talk to brands, um, like for instance, we're doing something with ABC for the bachelor and, you know, they, they approached us and I'm the one pitching the ideas and the creative, you know, we, it's never something they give us as a script. It's like always bespoke, always custom. It has to live within the Los Angeles local market. It has to tie back to our community. Um, we're doing a whole event with them for the premiere of the bachelor. And so I, you know, was the one to propose, I guess, the the creative. Um, and that happens in every single deal we do. So it's kind of interesting because we don't work with like an agency that brings us deals. Like all of these brands are coming directly to us. And I'm the one usually that is creating um, everything in terms of the content that supports all of the events that we do. Or are we just doing content directly with them? Um, all of that. So how involved are the influencers that you work with in terms of making the creative versus like you guys telling an influencer, Hey, like, this is what we think, do this. Or you're like, you know what, actually give us some of your opinions and ideas. You guys know your audience the best. What's that balance there? The balance is, uh, and I think this is what separates dialogue in the industry. Um, we, 
we'll strategize with our clients to come up with like a general meth campaign message and key speaking notes, but we are engaging a creator because they are the expert in content creation and they have a point of view. So it is a hundred percent collaborative with every single partner that we work with. We will present a general concept and they will come back to us with, Hey, I actually think this would perform well better on my TikTok. How about we do this kind of series? I've seen this to perform really well. This would be authentic. And they present their concept to us for us to approve before they, they, uh, they um, start to shoot. And so every single one of our campaigns, we're tapping into the influencer for creative guidance to guide us and, and to relay back the creativity. And we've actually, gone even further in the introduction of this new program dial in where because we're we're being asked to do this at scale we have clients investing you know more and more each month in in their paid influencer budgets um that we've created this network of um agents that you know we work with frequently and um, have great relationships with they get to be invited into this program dial in and each month or each week we're sending out, hey, we're working on a new campaign for seed. This is the topic. This is the theme. We're looking for these type of creators, whether it be mom creators or fitness or whatever it might be, these categories. And the agents that are part of our program can click and submit their talent to be considered for paid campaigns. But as part of being our request, if you're going to be part of this dial-in program, is that you send really thoughtful, meaningful concepts and they won't be approved or engaged if they're not taking the time. So rather than just sending us a media kit of their talent, they're going to say, hey, I actually think this talent would be really great for the campaign you're working on for by heart or seed or love wellness or whatever one of our clients. And here's a two sentence concept that we think would be really interesting. And we're using that to um, lock in our budget. So I, to your question, I think it's vital. I think that's where the breakdown of influence marketing is, is when you don't engage the creator to be creative. That's their role. That's why you're working with them. They know best of what's going to perform. And it seems so intuitive, but you'd be shocked the amount of brands that are like, no, 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 no. Like we'll dictate to them exactly what we're going to say. And then they come back and say, influencer marketing doesn't work and it's not driving returns. Well, no wonder it's not, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> Not yeah, it's so yeah. crazy because as, as you're right. saying all this, obviously we, we host this podcast and we have advertisers, right? And I've never really mm -hmm. looked at the podcast advertisers as influencer marketing because it's a little bit more traditional mm -hmm. on like ad spend type of a situation. Mm -hmm. But at the same token, you know, we've seen different copies. We add in our flair, et cetera, et cetera. And the ones that we build the strongest relationships with and the ones that really translate to our community are the ones where we get to add in our personal lived experience. Right. So like, for example, we've done a bunch of ads with Jenny Kane and it's been a really fruitful mm -hmm. relationship because we love mm -hmm. them so much that we add in our creative flair and we're posting on Instagram and we're talking about it in our episodes like right now, not just, you know, required mm -hmm. to that ad. And it's that creativity or that little extra kind of collaboration imagination that makes a partnership so successful. But it is kind of interesting to think right. about where podcast ads kind of like lie in all of this because it's like kind of in the middle between traditional oh, advertising sure. and influencer marketing. Well, and that's another thing too. Like you asked earlier, defining influencer. Like we 
when we develop our strategies, we'll integrate podcasts as part of an influence marketing campaign because an influencer, a lot of influencers as you, as yourselves have podcasts and that's a really strategic way to approach a, a particular, you know, aspect of our strategy. We'll do offline influence strategies and that's really taken off where certain, you know, luxury clients of ours aren't looking for a traditional, um, you know, digital campaign, whereas they might want to find a tattoo artist in Silver Lake that can host a really great event. And the influence they have within their network is like far greater than anything online. They are plugged in, they have the right network and the ripple effect of that partnership could be immense. So as part of our strategies, we're also developing offline influence and saying, okay, a portion of our campaigns are going to be with individuals that maybe they have a thousand followers on social media, but that's a really important part of social influencer marketing as well. So I think it's important to think of it really broadly. And I think once you start to kind of look at it under an umbrella and all the different aspects that go into it, that's where the magic starts to happen. Again, where you start to see this like fruitful return from influence marketing, you're not just you know, looking at it as like a plug and play. The offline space, I mean, it's something that we kind of, uh, on my side, my company is called Camber, and we started doing um, Mm -hmm. events last year. We started with these walk clubs and then turned into game nights and then, again, completely bespoke to whatever the brand wants. Let me brag about Maddie (laughs) real quick. She had 600 she had 600 people in LA sign up oh for my 800. Gosh. Oh my gosh. That's unreal. No, but, and that's the thing. It's like how much Thank engagement you. could you get online with like how crowded it is versus 800 people showing up and like dedicating their time to an event. That's huge. Insane. Thank you. Yeah. So the, the offline, it's been so interesting because we kind of fell into it and it's been the number one driver of not only revenue because now every, every time, every time we do an event, we're, we're sponsored and there are tons like brands. I, I, I I think we like hit a gold mine in the timing because brands, everyone is about IRL events. They want them in person. They want community. So they see what we're doing and they're like, oh my God, I need to just, I need to hop on that and I need to get our brand in front of it. And so whenever we work with a brand that is so excited to really activate, to put also their energy into it. And, um, you know, we make sure that we bring the audience, we bring the community and, um, it converts immensely for them. So I think brands who partner with us are, are very smart, but, um, you know, even to the degree of, you know, a lot of our, our events are community-based, so they're open to the public. It's more about something, you know, for me, I wanted it to be accessible, but we do do things where, I will lend my network of um, influencers in the LA food space or just influencers in LA specifically. So right now we're working with Resi and we did, you know, a bundle of social assets for them, but then we're also putting on a little dinner with like 10 of my, you know, my networked friends. So it's kind of exactly what you were saying of like the tattoo artist in Silver Lake, like that kind of influence. Um, And so, yeah, structuring things like that, the offline space and it's funny because I, I get, I get, I'm getting like different signs. Like I spoke to an advisor of ours and they were like, no events is not, you know, not the way. And look what happened with COVID, all these things. I'm just like, 
I don't know. I, I, I think it's a bounce back. Like, yes, maybe something like that could happen and there's a dip. But right now there is a boom. Like everyone wants to get outside. Everyone wants to meet people. People are fucking lonely. They want to make friends. And this and like brands are so smart to be like jumping on what we've created, you know? Question, because I feel as if Mads has really built an amazing community and traction and engagement with Camber via community versus let's say influencer marketing in your opinion Julian is community building under the umbrella of influencer marketing or are those two separate strategies I think it all weaves together so like I said earlier if we're doing our job well we should be enhancing you know a social media strategy our PR strategy an advertising strategy a partnership strategy an event strategy so when we first start with a client, we get downloaded on every single aspect of what they're doing. And then we find ways that influencers can support. So in a sense, a community strategy or a customer retention or engagement strategy is its own separate element. But how can we weave in creators and influencers to support that community, to offer value to that community or to grow that community? So it should go hand in hand. Um, but it's not necessarily like we we don't handle like a customer uh, retention strategy for a client. But what's interesting handle, yeah. too is what you were saying is just I like there's yeah. um there it's so bespoke. I think so many brands are coming to us being like, what is your like formula? And just like do exactly what you did for Sakara or do exactly what you mm -hmm. did for Seed. We want that too. And I think it's so crucial. Every single approach we take for every single client is vitally different. And it's because of conversations like this where we're like, oh, you have that kind of, you know, ability to bring out 800 people to an event. Great. Let's lean into that and develop programs that support that. Or is your product not very like interactive in, in person? Great. You don't have to do experiential and events. There might be something on this side of things that you do have a studio where creators can come and produce content and you can offer that value is like, you know, a perk. So it has to be customized to each brand, but also not like, so like narrowly focused on just the traditional thought of what influencer is. Yeah. I, what I'm taking away from you is that one influencer marketing, like get out of the head that it's just like, you see a person post a fucking product hashtag yeah. ad at the bottom, right? Yeah. Like that's not, that's not the full breadth. And just like this almost this full permission for it to be a creative strategy around relationship relationship building and people right. building of people who can support your business, mm -hmm. you can support them, mm -hmm. and how can you create a whole experience, exactly. whether it's digital, whether it's in person, whether it's with a local whatever, you know, like mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like how can we take your business and how can we include the tastemakers, the influencers, the culture makers, the thought leaders, and introduce them to our world? We introduce ourselves to their world and create a symbiotic relationship where we all grow in reputation and totally. revenue and experience and support, et cetera. Yeah, and you nailed such an important part of our approach is yeah, that it's a two-way, when we talk about relationships, it's not a one-way relationship. So I think Gia is a great example of that, where Melanie is such a creative genius. She has the Gia house in LA. And her directive yeah. when we were building out their strategy was like, how can we support the artists and creatives in our neighborhood? So with Gia House, can we invite them in? Is a ceramic can a ceramicist do like a showing? Could a, a yoga instructor host a class in our like how can we support their endeavors and their businesses? So it's not this like 
one way relationship of read a script, hashtag I will pay you done and dusted. It's more like, okay, what are you working? How can we as a brand support your endeavors? And how can we build out like a relationship roadmap that is beneficial to both parties? And I think brands just think of it so narrowly as like a performance marketing tactic, mm-hmm. engage the creator, get the returns on a, a revenue perspective. I know. I lo- I mean, this is, it's so fascinating because I've been kind of plummeted into this world like kind of unknowingly and it wasn't my my plan but then I've loved do like I love working with brands that I feel so like aligned with you know I I've wor- I just worked with Parachute Home and Resi is like super aligned with us and Lulu and Georgia and Jenny Kane and it's just it and like even you talk about longevity like Amazon for instance we did an event with them to promote one of their shows that was like the sh- the the movie was based in LA so we did an event with them and then you know we're getting on a call with them ne- next week to be like okay what's going on for 2024 so it's again I I totally see the relationship side of things and there's um we become even friends like I feel so connected to the people that work at these brands and companies and it's um it's become this like beautiful beautiful relationship as you mentioned so and I Mads, I just want to point out to any of the sisters who are listening who are really excited about all the information that Julianne gave that Mads is like saying that she's been able to do. Um, how many years did you work on Camber before this started happening? Right. Yeah. So that's three, three. It's like three to four. Yeah. Like, the, and also just so people know, but people, yeah, just so people know, like we haven't, we didn't start like truly working with the brands on the caliber that we have now um it started in august of this year and we've been working and posting on tiktok every single day for three years so it's it's yeah and also just to echo that we've worked with seed for three years sakara three and a half years Mm -hmm. little spoon five years like Mm -hmm. we have long-term clients it's not to say you have to like wait three years to see results but it's through this like relationship building not only with the client with the creators with the, mm-hmm. you know, the influencers that it starts to flourish. So a hundred percent, I love that call out because I think people might listen to this and be like, okay, I want to do this tomorrow. And I want to see the results in three months, mm-hmm. but it is a long-term play for the brand and, and, you know, for the creators too, mm-hmm. the influencers. Yeah. 2024 is about creativity and settling into and grounding into the long-term play. Cause I think that's, mm-hmm. that's really where it's at. Okay. We ask, Every single woman who comes on OKSIS podcast this, if you could brag about one thing and don't be humble, what would you brag about? What? Oh my God. That's such a tough question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If I could brag about one thing, um, I'm so proud of my team (laughs) and I'm going to brag about just the like, and listen, like I've made so many, I've had bumps along the road and made mistakes and fumbled through learning, you know, when I started my company, it was just, I was a one man show. And like, now I've become an accountant, HR, financial, like I'm like, in what world am I doing this? So there's been a lot of growth along the way, but I'm just so proud. Um, and, and also I, I credit really the support of my business coach along the way to help me really develop, um, a team that, is fulfilled, is passionate, and that they're all pursuing their zone of genius and what really makes them thrive instead of crafting a traditional agency model of like hierarchies and the only one way and form of growth. I've really 
you know, nurtured and supported each one of our team members. Um, the vast majority of our team has been with us at least, you know, coming up to two years to someone's, you know, Kelly on our team has been with us for five years. And so I think being able to really like nurture each individual's growth trajectory, form a role that is aligned with their zone of genius. When doing that individually for each person, we've now become this like unbelievable well-oiled machine where people are like, how is your, like, we're a team of 10, but the volume and the amount of clients that we support people are like, how are you doing that? You know, like, it doesn't make sense, but it's because each person is so efficient, um, in their own, you know, space. And then also because I have this commitment to like the creativity and the satisfaction outside of work and not subscribing to the bullshit of hustle and grind New York narrative, working evenings and weekends, really like carving out time for them to be fulfilled outside of work. I'm just so proud of not only like the work that we produce, our reputation, um, but also just seeing like their satisfaction and pride to be part of this team. I think that's what I'm you know, most proud about. That is beautiful and no easy feat for a business owner to say. I've been reading Bethany Frankel's book and she said that the number one thing business owners struggle with is their team. So to hear that is no, no, no easy feat. So thank you so much for coming on OKC's podcast. I'm going to DM you offline about your baby because we didn't touch upon that. And I just mom to mom would, would love to hear how you're doing with, you know, running a business with a baby. Um, but if you could let everyone know where to find you and if you are allowing, I mean, I love your platform and software that you're making. I think it's really smart, especially because I think marketplace software the problem with it is that it doesn't have that quality control and that like real human touch to it and I feel like this is really curated and have that um is it only for agents or can influencers join etc tell us where um a little bit about that and where everyone can find you yeah so um probably easiest to get in touch with you would just be julianne fraser is my handle on instagram and dialogue nyc on instagram and dialogue nyc is our website as well um, and then dial in is, uh, on our website, there's a form to submit to, to join, um, primarily at the moment we're working with agents. Um, but our plan is to expand that to creators within our network that, um, take this approach ultimately of just wanting for it to feel collaborative, to build long-term relationships. So absolutely would love to hear, you know, from anyone who's wanting to, to participate in that, because I think there's just a great opportunity to work with, you know, the great caliber of clients that we work with, but also produce great campaigns that are, you know, we're just trying to combat the hashtag ad cringeworthy bullshit aspect of influencer marketing. So we're looking for anyone, you know, who wants to like join us at the table and just level up influence marketing as a whole. Beautiful. I love that. If you could find us on Instagram at OKSIS podcast, me at Scott Sobel, Mads at Maddie Mayo and sisters, we love you. We'll see you next week. Hey there, I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. If there's one thing I know from both my personal and clinical experience, it's that we are really good at comparing ourselves to others. We tend to get stuck in the unhelpful narratives that play on repeat in our minds, and we struggle to set boundaries and create healthy love. Each week, I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife, mother, and business owner to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you 
you change the dialogue in your life. Tune in every Thursday to I'm Not Your Shrink wherever you listen to podcasts. While I'm not your shrink, I am still human and I'm excited for us to be in our vulnerability and humanness together. 